1: Good morning, welcome to Axios Today. We've made it to Wednesday, it's December 2nd. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. President-elect Biden's economic team will be writing a new crisis playbook and the broken pipeline for Latino executives. But first, a dramatic day at the Department of Justice is today's one big thing. Yesterday, three major pieces of news came out of the Department of Justice and Attorney General Bill Barr. Number one, a declaration by Barr there's been no meaningful election fraud. Number two, special protections for the one prosecutor looking at the origins of the Russian interference probe. And three, allegations about bribes for presidential pardons. It's a lot of news for one day, and it all involves the Trump administration, which is why Margaret Taleb, Axios' White House and politics editor, is here to give us the bottom line on all three stories. Good morning, Margaret.
2: Good morning. I'll try. My head's still spinning as well. But you're right. There's a lot going on, and it's all pointing in one general direction.
1: So let's start with number one. Attorney General Bill Barr did an interview with the Associated Press yesterday and said there was no widespread evidence of fraud that would alter election results. So he's one of the most loyal members of President Trump's cabinet. What's your takeaway about this direct contradiction of the president?
2: Well, as a political reporter, and I think just as an American, I look at this and I say, wow, if Bill Barr is saying that there's been no meaningful evidence of fraud, that must mean that President Trump's avenues for a challenge are completely over with. But as a veteran political reporter, I go one layer beyond that, and I think, why is he giving this interview now? I mean, you don't just give an interview like this to the Associated Press because it's a sunny day in early December and you feel like making news. And that's where these other developments began to take my attention.
1: So, Margaret, speaking of those other things, number two, as you said, comes from that same AP interview. Barr also appointed prosecutor John Durham as a special counsel. So just a reminder to everybody, he's the guy who's been leading the investigation into the FBI's 2016 investigation of the Trump campaign. He apparently made this decision in October. So what's the timing of why we're just learning about this
2: now? Right. Making Durham a special counsel would allow him to stay on to continue his investigation even after Joe Biden takes office. So it looks at a first glance like that is Barr doing a solid for the president, right? But Jonathan Swan, our colleague, has done some really interesting reporting that finds another layer to this, which is that there is intense pressure on Barr to get this Durham report out And that a lot of folks close to the president view this revelation to be kind of a fig leaf, to stall, to buy time rather than have that report released.
1: So that brings us to number three. Court records unsealed by the chief judge of the D.C. District Court reveal that the Department of Justice is investigating a potential bribery scheme for presidential pardon from the White House. Margaret, the documents that were released are heavily
2: redacted.
1: So what do we know and what are you watching for here?
2: I wish I could tell you who, what, when, but it is just a sea of blackout. Magic marker line after magic marker line. Crime fraud finding, blackout, 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 in which blackout said and blackout acted as lobbyists. So the truth is, we don't know yet. This is certainly something to keep an eye on. But we just don't know where it will go.
1: Which of these stories to you is the most significant?
2: They're all of a piece. The big question that all of this adds up to is, will President Trump successfully spend the remaining weeks of his presidency trying to exact revenge on people who he perceives to be enemies? Will he be able to preemptively pardon himself? And ultimately, how long will his legacy and in these investigations that he have set in motion live on beyond his own presidency?
1: Margaret Taleb is the White House and Politics Editor for Axios. We'll be back in 15 seconds with how Joe Biden's economic team will be handling the current crisis.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory...
1: Yesterday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell unveiled a $333 billion COVID stimulus proposal. And if that seems like a big number to you, it's actually much smaller than the $2.2 trillion House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has been pushing for. Getting a stimulus bill passed will be one of President-elect Joe Biden's first economic challenges, of which there are many. Felix Salmon is Axios's chief financial correspondent and has been writing about what this economic crisis looks like. Felix, can you tell us how the pandemic is making this current crisis different from the Great Recession in 2008?
3: Well, it got very, very bad very, very quickly. The economy basically ground to a halt in the space of a couple of weeks. And then there was a sharp rebound. It took four years from the nadir in 2009 to actually get back to all of the jobs that we'd lost. The other big difference, of course, is that that was a financial crisis. You could solve the financial crisis by throwing money at banks. This isn't a financial crisis and there's no sector you can throw money at to solve it.
1: Some of Joe Biden's nominees actually helped shape the response in 2008. As you said, this is very different. So what can we expect from them this time about how they will try to fix this?
3: They're all going to want to err on the side of doing too much rather than too little. The problem is that in order to do too much, they need to go through the Senate. And it's very clear that the Senate has no real appetite for a massive $2 trillion stimulus.
1: Felix, I know you love statistics. So can you leave us with one important stat that gives us a picture of what the economy is?
3: The number of jobs in America is 10 million jobs lower than it was before the crisis. At no point, In the Great Recession, were we 10 million jobs below where we were at the peak employment before the crisis? That's a massive number, and it really does give you an indication of the size, of the sheer enormity of the task facing the incoming economic team.
1: Felix Salmon is the author of the Axios Capital Newsletter. We've talked on Axios today about how Asian-American unemployment has skyrocketed during the pandemic and about how companies have failed to retain Black professionals. Now, Axios business reporter Erica Pandy is reporting on another demographic who's getting left behind in corporate America. That's Latinos. They have the widest gap between rank-and-file workers and executive office positions.
4: Right. So let me put that in context for our listeners, Nyla. So even though it is black professionals that have the worst representation when you look at just the numbers, the gap between Latino workforce numbers and executive positions is the widest. So 18 percent of the U.S. workforce right now is Latino, yet Latinos hold only four percent of executive positions and less than three percent of any board seats at Fortune 1000 companies.
1: Is this a particular problem geographically or is this all across the country?
4: So the problem exists everywhere in the country, but in some of the biggest cities where the Latino population is actually the highest, it's even worse. So, for example, in New York, which we know for kind of being a corporate old boys club, Latinos make up 22.6 percent of the workforce and hold just 4.5 percent of the executive positions. So the equity is really not there at all.
1: You and I have talked about companies have committed to increasing black representation and retaining black workers. Are we seeing similar pledges when it comes to
4: Latino professionals? We haven't seen companies make any sort of commitments to the Latino community yet. Latinos are set to become a quarter of the U.S. population by 2050. So it's time for the company's boardrooms to start looking like what the rest of the country looks like.
1: Erica Pandey writes the At Work newsletter for Axios. Thanks, Erica. Thanks, Nyla. There's so much going on today. We just thought we'd end with one more piece of news. A CDC advisory committee voted last night to recommend the first round of vaccines goes to residents and employees of long-term care facilities and health care workers on the front lines. And that's it for us. By the way, if you like the show, we would be so grateful if you could leave us a review. That makes it easier to help others find us. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.